This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport fan network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win... Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to the Chelsea Fancast. The 50 Years show returns. Yes, it does. Every time there's a little break in the season, we find it a great opportunity to uh, go back into the past and have a look at uh, the seasons that we love the most. And actually, we've been doing it since uh, the 1969-70 season. And tonight, we've reached the milestone of the 1999-2000 season it was just so happens to be one of my favourite seasons from Chelsea's past. But there you go. Anyway, I'm Stamford Chidge, as uh, I'm sure you all know by now. And joining me, as ever, is Mr Jonathan Kidd. Really lovely to be on the show again, Chidge, particularly with this season. One of my favourite seasons as well, as well as yours. And I'm sure one of uh, of the, the marvellous Mark Meehan. Um, uh, the, 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 the players and characters in this team were were just... Just fantastic, fantastic to watch. Um, it's a pity that they didn't do better this season. One FA Cup wasn't good enough. They deserved more with that collection of, of there you go. brilliance. He's off the mark quickly, isn't he, Mark? He's off the mark. You just can't hold him back, can you, really? Anyway, uh, <laughs> delightful Mark Meehan, with, with, who I have to say, without, without whom these shows would be... Uh, no. Well, tedious. You and I just sitting here crying most of the time. They'd be certainly less informed, that's for sure. Yeah, that's indeed. the word I wanted. Yeah, indeed. Mark, good to see you again, mate. No, good to see you. And obviously, um, uh, putting the notes together for tonight's show was fueled by uh, lager on Saturday. You know, and a hangover on Sunday morning, knocking the notes out. So whether the lager is still in my system has inspired me. What some of the stuff we're going to talk about tonight. But I, I agree with J.K. Um, remarkable season, you know, most games in our history, great teams, some great players, some remarkable performances throughout the season. 
And it is just a shame. Yeah, we only ended up with an FA Cup. It promised so much more. And there were moments in the season where, you know, even now, like, yeah, 20 years on, you think back to that game and that moment and think, wow, that was a really special moment, a really special game. Yeah, there was there is there is definitely a bit of if only this season, and we will be talking all about that. Do not have any fears about that. Uh, but some but- great firsts in the season, Chidge. Sorry to interrupt. Some great firsts, like Europe in particular, was um, to go on that journey uh, was uh, was a, abs- an absolute joy. But then you look back on it, and you think perhaps we could achieve have achieved indeed, indeed, indeed. Now, before we get into all of that, very quick shout out for. Uh, our Patreon account. If you like what we do, you can become a Chelsea Fancast patron and help us cover the costs of uh, all the stuff that we do uh, and uh, enable us to keep doing all the stuff we do. Um, so no pressure. I mean, there is absolutely no pressure. I love everybody equally, as you all know, even JK. In fact, I probably love JK the most equal out of everybody. Wouldn't you say that'd be fair to say? In terms of equality, I'm I'm up there with all of them. Indeed. There we go. Indeed. And, yeah. I, and I'm merely first amongst equals, really. Yeah, you're ahead of us, but but yeah. only in an equal sense. Yeah, equally first. That's that's kind of the word I'm struggling for. But okay. slightly above. Indeed. Anyway, so uh, sin joking aside, there is no pressure. I mean, if you want to bung us a few quid, brilliant. If you don't, not a problem. But if you do, uh, I will. Uh, you can obviously be a member of our Discord group, which is great fun. There's some superb people on there, and we all chat about Chelsea twenty four seven. I think the great thing about the, the Discord group is there's so many Yanks on there. Uh, which means it is literally 24-7. They're all waking up as we're buggering off and the conversation continues. And then you wake up in the morning and Mr. Sticks left a, a tactical analysis about something. It's just brilliant. So there we go. You get to be in the, the Discord group. And of course, you will, if you want one, I will send you a mini uh, mini Kerry Dixon banner. Not as in a small Kerry Dixon, as in a replica of the one that hangs in the Matthew Harding uh, upper. And, uh, and they are very lovely too. So there you go. And if you want to do that, it's... Uh, patreon.com forward slash Chelsea fancast so there we go now as those of you who have listened to this particular version of our show in the past will know we always launch it or launch into it by talking about the kit uh, and I have to say I mean this I mean you know this kit JK is one of my absolute favorites I love this kit because I it's, agree with you it's completely. blue and it's got white socks and it's simple and it's simple but also I like the the, the collar in particular well lack of collar I should say sorry I like the the uh the roundness of it with the the colours in the collar, the blue and white, the white with the with the blue line through it was um, was something I, I loved from the sixties. Um, it's just a very very cute um, combination. It's beautifully designed, and I think um, Nike could learn quite a lot from looking at these old kits because it was an Umbro kit, of course. It was indeed an Umbro kit, wasn't it? Um, but you're right. I like it. It's very 60s, this kit. I definitely agree with that. Mark, are you, are you a fan of the old blue kit we had this year? Uh, I'm a fan. Um, uh, if I think, look down back, down the years, and we've talked about other kits on previous shows, and then I think of which ones, you know, did I actually buy and, and did I wear? And this one, you know, I had that shirt. And I think what it reminded me of, I agree with both of you, has a 1962-3 feel about it. Yeah. Now, that round neck, that promotion side in 62-3 had. And actually, even the shade of blue was quite similar. It is a really, really good, simple kit. And fair play to Umbro. Yeah, like the kit a lot. And two good away kits as well from the previous season we still had. Well, I mean, actually, you know, you, you make a, a superb point with the away kits there too. Because, I mean, I, I, mean, I, love, I love the, the, the home kit. And as, as the fashion, fashionistas would say, JK, a turtleneck, I think they call it. Is it a turtleneck or a crew neck? Crew neck, I think, isn't it? You've got me there. I feel I feel um, uninformed. Yeah, but anyway, 
that was uh, the home shirt. But the away kits, again, simple. A white one is the first choice away kit, and a yellow one is uh, is the is the third choice kit, which I wholeheartedly approve of. And of course, they've got collars, but for a very lovely dark blue, which I know Joe K is probably not going to approve of. But I actually no, no, no. I don't mind the dark blue. I was going to say that on occasions they would wear uh, the white with blue shorts and white socks. On several occasions, actually, Leicester yeah. particularly, they 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 yeah. draw it, didn't they? Which yeah. which I like as well because it's a reverse. Well, it's not. It's using bits of the kit, but it's still being. Uh, it's it was a reversal of of what Leicester were wearing essentially. So and and Everton as well. I think they wore Everton, and I think it, it worked really well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's something about blue shorts and a white shirt as well. Indeed, it is. So there you go. So uh, we're we're happy with the kits, which is a good thing, obviously. Now, um, as far as uh. As far as the uh, the transfer situations, uh, which of course we do take uh, a big note of, uh, in the summer, we got the wonderful, wonderful Mario Melchior uh, from Ajax for free. We got Didier Deschamps uh, from Juventus for three million. Uh, Chris Sutton, disgust. No, we'll do that later. We got him for ten million quid from Blackburn. Ye gods, and uh, we also got yes, yes, Hogue, I can boogie. From Fenerbahce for three hundred thirty-three thousand, and uh, strangely, Gabriel Ambrosetti from Vicenza for three and a half million. On their way out were Dimitri Karin to Celtic for free. Eddie Newton, uh, he went to Birmingham for free. Andy Myers went to Bradford City for eight hundred grand. Michael Dubry transferred to Leeds for four and a half million. And uh, coming, uh, actually, I think they were coming in from the youth. I put it in the wrong column. But Leon Knight and Joe Keenan came up from the youth. I mean, Mark, it seems to me that there was a there was a bit of a changing of the guard here. Some of the old, you know, the old English stalwarts, shall we say, were, were finding their way out uh, and being replaced by uh, Sutton aside some some interesting and in some respects stellar for foreign talent i mean deschamps was a world cup winner of course well world cup winning captain in fact wasn't and he won the champions league with marseille of course yeah, exactly yeah so what do you think boys of the ins and outs uh we, we need to add another one into the mix uh he, he, later later when he when he actually does arrive these are the summer transfers no 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 we need to add no, another no. One into the mix that is a summer transfer yeah, yes is. Paolo Cudicini. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that's interesting, isn't it? Because I'll tell you what, I, I, I realised the error of my way uh, about halfway through doing the notes. But Bounder Friedel didn't, ha- didn't have him in, weirdly. Really? No. Oh, I think it's because he was third goalie at the time, wasn't he, Mark? He was down for third goalie. He wasn't down for... Because it was... Um, um, uh, Hitchcock was, uh, was second goalie, wasn't yeah. he? And, and so perhaps that was the impact. Perhaps you didn't consider him important. Did you mention Eddie Newton going to Birmingham? Yeah, yeah. Good. Did sorry, I missed that. Yeah. Okay. No, there, there were there were some good signings, and Deschamps was very much a Rolls Royce signing, as J.K. said. You know, with his Champions League and World Cup pedigree, uh, irrespective of what Canton are used to describe him as. Um, well. I think it's, and I know we'll talk later, as we said about Chris Sutton, um, D- Dan Silver's best new mate. If people haven't listened to Dan, do do go on Five Live and listen to it. It is superb. Um, but actually, it was a, a what might have been transfer window. Um, Chris Sutton wasn't our first choice. Yeah. So um, it wasn't mine, mate. <laughs> I've only a few people at Mixler think, think the same, and certainly not Dan's. Our actual first choice, and clearly... If you watch the end of season video, they don't make mention of it, but they obviously mention that Luca is no longer a player. Um, he's, he's just a manager now. So we were targeting a striker. And the guy Chelsea had their eyes set on was Marco Del Vecchia. 
from from Roma. Not not the Leeds player. Yeah, not the not the Leeds player. Yeah, you know. So um, deal was pretty much done. You know, uh, we'd made an offer. Roma seemed happy. Um, Viali wanted him. He wasn't on great money at Roma. He was interested in coming to Chelsea. And then over that summer, um, Roma brought Fabio Capello in as their new manager. One of the first things he did um, is increase Del Vecchio's salary. And the player then chose to stay with Roma. So throughout that summer, clearly Sutton, as Blackburn had been relegated, uh, was on the market. And Spurs were favourites. George Graham was heavily linked you know, with Chris Sutton. But we therefore had money. We needed a striker to replace Viali. So I think, as I said, like, I think, I think we not only stunned football, you know, we stunned Frank Nebirth, who had had regular run-ins with Sutton. I think we stunned many of our friends, including uh, many of our fans, including your good self, by actually spending 10 million, making him the third most expensive forward in English football. Um, how old was Viali at the time, guys? Ooh. That's a good question. That's a really good question. He's probably early 30s. Yeah. Because I, I felt it was an enormous mistake. I know at one period during the season, he re-registered himself and then only played a reserve game But because um, they were so stuck for, for, for strikers. But I thought it was an enormous error at the time. I mean, I, I agree with you because you know what a huge fan I am of Viali. And, and well, the, we both are. We both yeah. are as a striker. Well, you, wonderful, you know wonderful, that, wonderful yeah. striker. But the fact, yeah. the fact that the fact that uh, I don't know in whose brain it computes that Chris Sutton is a replacement for, Le, for Luca Viali. I mean, Chris Sutton couldn't replace Luca's toenail clippings in terms of parity and quality. When he arrived, though, we had hope, didn't we? And then the first game when he missed two sitters, we went. Oops, yeah. give him another go because we're like those Chelsea fans. Well, we are long suffering, I think the word is. But um, what, what I would say, JK, is whilst I totally agree with you, and I, you know, Luca should have played until his legs had fallen off in yeah. my book, yeah. I do think that what happened was I think something happens to players. I mean, look at look, Hoddle, Hullet, Luca. There's a very interesting connection there. They're all absolutely brilliant players who could have probably played longer than they did. But they 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 sacrificed it for for managing the club. In other words, playing and managing are probably far more difficult than any of us realise. And maybe because I've just checked, Luca was thirty five at the time. Maybe young young um, young. If you look at Thiago Silva, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> me, me babe. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it might very well be if you think where we were a couple of shows back when we were talking about Ruud Hullet, uh, and obviously the falling out he had with Ken Bates over. Continuing as a player, and I think Chelsea wanted him only to continue as a manager. And there was a vast difference between salary as a player, salary as a manager. So Hullet walked. Maybe Viali might have negotiated the contract as as a manager, uh, and that's what Chelsea only wanted to be going forward after the yeah. ninety eight ninety nine season. It's, it's yeah. a possibility. Yeah. That's a good point, Mark. You, you, you're a great. Uh, unlike me, who who was probably busy on a beach somewhere, or busy, well, not busy at all on a beach somewhere. You actually fully engage in the pre-seasons, don't you? What what was the pre-season well, like for only, you? Only, only a couple of them. We 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 had quite a few pre-season pre-season games, but the one was always the traditional one at Chelsea. Uh, was the one at Kingstonian. Yeah, it was usually our first pre-season. Yeah, first game back after the summer. You know, people show off their Sundance. Uh, and Kingston was like a relaxed place. So very laid back and a great place for sort of kids and families to turn up. 
get close up and personal to the players. Uh, and the car park at Kingstonians, what the players used to do, uh, I, I, I think I did about two friendlies there, and this was one of them. Uh, the players used to come into the car park, you know, and there was no sort of like high level security you'd have around the current Premier League players. So when they'd get out of their car, all the kids would pounce on them, you know, with the autograph books, probably be selfies now. You know, so they'd get you know, autographs and, and their sort of like kit signed, etc. And on this particular day, what was what was it quite interesting was Zola and Poyer arrived early and to get from the car to the dressing room took them eternity. To, to their credit, they were mobbed and they signed countless autographs. Never stopped. Our brand new signing from Blackburn <laughs> Rovers rocked up a little bit late, gets out of his car, you know, signs two autographs refuses to sign any more and harsh though it might sound you know i observe this he sort of barged his way through the crowd to get into the dressing room now there's a strike of balance because obviously he's got to get in etc he wasn't playing we just signed him you know but not the best of starts and then you've got a lot of parents there with their kids that's their first experience of our brand new striker you know came across a bit of an arrogant tosser you know <laughs> not the best of starts. Don't Chris. mince your words there, Mark. Not no. the best of starts because again, like you know, kids are kids. Kids want to meet their heroes. You know, honestly, and... Mark, that's no way to treat DJ. <laughs> but you know, he signed two autographs and then moved into the dressing room. Poye and Zola were there, and they were signing stuff for an eternity. Yeah. You know. And I just thought, not a good start, Chris. Yeah. No, no, not at all. Uh, portentous, as they say. Um, there was also a kind of a, a weird, uh, well, there was a Dennis Wise testimonial, wasn't there, on the 31st of July? Um, yeah, I went to that because like, we played, I think we played Birmingham and Reading and Sheffield United uh, in between. But fair play, you know, great turnout for Dennis, like 20, 27,000. I'm not sure why we chose to play Bologna. Yeah. It's a strange choice for a pre-season game. There's no connection with Chelsea, no connection with Dennis Wise. So brilliant that Dennis got 27,000 through the door. And there's probably not been many players since then that had a testimonial. And I don't think there's many that ever got a crowd like that. You know, a lot of players had sort of like small figures. I remember Kerry's and John Bumps did. They never got in the double figures. So brilliant for Dennis, but pretty boring game. Yeah, enough said about that, the better, I think. Uh, let's get on with the, the real, uh, you know, the real meat in the sandwich and the first game of the season on a... J- JK, you want to come in? Question I want to ask. What, what was the... What do we think the uh, the pattern was that he was playing? What tactically was he playing? Was it um, was it two up most of the time or did he just play the one up? Or did he play with... Uh, was he playing 4-3-3, four, 4-2-3-1? Four, three, three, four, three, because it, it escaped me from time to time. I couldn't work it out. It didn't seem to be consistent. There, there was varies on that. Um, and throughout the season, there's different combinations. He did do 4-4-2. Four, four, Certainly when George Ware a- arrived, he did play with Chris Sutton a lot as a two. As a two, I noticed yeah. that. And I put Sutton actually seemed to slightly improve as a consequence, actually. Yeah. There were times when Sutton was up almost like a lone striker. Yeah. yeah. There was also times when Flo played, where Zolo played up with him but also times where Zola played behind the front two as well, like in a pocket. Yeah. So there were, there were varia- variations, but I think Viali's favoured formation throughout his time, I think he favoured a 4-4-2. Yeah. I think he, he, he was a fan of so he was, he was the He was the, uh, oh God, I'm having a brain fart now. I can't remember the bloke's Juventus. name. Juventus. No, no, no. Thank no, you. Mark, Mark was reading my mind. 
So, uh, so basically, Viali was the Mike Bassett of Italian football. <laughs> four, four, fucking two, or something like but he that. Played, he liked playing the four. I know that four defenders. Of course, and who we had, we had. Um, I mean, poor old Soxy got injured in the season, but what a player he was at right back. Mm, he yeah. was. Well, I mean, he had loads there. I mean, we had Babiaro, we had Chappie Ferreira as right back yeah, as well. Yeah, 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 anyway, yeah. let's get on with it. The Sunderland game was the first game. Beautiful, beautiful, sunny August day. And what a treat we had. Because basically, uh, we, we stuffed Sunderland 4-0. Goals by Poye, Zola, Flo and Poye. But the thing that everybody... I mean, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because you know what an appalling memory I've got? And it made me think about something we saw recently, actually, uh, in that um, Kovacic's goal against Liverpool. Uh, I will remember that goal. And I don't remember anything, but I will remember that goal. We do this show, we're still here. We're doing this in 10 years' time. We're actually looking back at this season. I will remember that goal. I'll remember nothing else about the game, but I will remember that goal. And actually, that Poye goal... That that will last the test of time. I mean, generations will remember that goal because it was so fucking good. You know, the way that Zola just kind of like lobbed it up and he just brilliantly uh, executes a volley with a little kind of scissor kick. I mean, absolutely stunning, JK, wasn't it? Oh, brilliant. But I think, as you said earlier, he, he spent the whole of the season only scoring worldies. Well, points. yeah, he did, didn't he, though? I forgot Poet. that. Yeah, Poet was absolutely on fire because the previous season he'd been injured, of course, which yeah. would... Which cost actually, us, cost us. It, it cost as well as well as other things. Viali cost us as well, but he cost us the uh, um, through not having the best one of the best players. And it's such a shame that he has alienated the fan base by his uh, kissing l- the cock. L- I think l- the is. Is kissing the cock. Yes. He's a chicken kisser. He's a chicken. <laughs> the chicken kisser of white. No, I, I, I prefer licking, kissing, licking the fowl. Yeah, oh. I prefer kissing the cock. I think that kind kissing of the cock, yeah. sums it when up. He, when he went that. to Spurs, because um, otherwise he would have had uh, uh, absolute legendary. He hero. should have. He should have really, shouldn't he? Should have. A brilliant, brilliant player. Poet was absolutely just phenomenal. A, a brilliant goal scorer. I mean, yeah, a, a, a scorer of brilliant goals, but a yeah, brilliant yeah. goal. I mean, you know, coming from midfield. I mean, we all we all talk about. Lampard and how brilliant he was at coming yeah. in. And I was thinking, watching it, the season review, I said, oh, look at that Poye wore number eight, you know, something about the number eight. But he was a brilliant number eight, that guy who would come in at the last minute and crack off a brilliant goal, getting on the end of something, or also doing it from distance. Can I just ask, we appear to be pronouncing his name differently because I've always thought he was Gustavo Poyet rather than Poye. Does anybody want to... Uh... I think we should ask Peter Drury. Yeah, could we Thank do that? I say geyser. You say either. I say either. He may be from Uruguay, but he's hungry for goals. So that's what Peter <laughs> Drury would say. <laughs> he's a tall man, but with a little heart. He, no, but no, he's short. He's a little heart, but equally short, yes. I, do you know what? I'd, I'd, I'd love to... I, I mean, I don't know him, which doesn't help, but I would love to interview Peter Drury and say... Peter, what the fuck goes through your mind when you're commentating? <laughs> you know, you're clearly a lovely bloke, but what is going on? And I'm a psychotherapist. I mean, that, I'm, I'm intrigued from that angle as well. I mean, it's quite yes. nuts, isn't it? Uh, Mark, um, it was uh, when we, we talk about portentous for Chris Sutton. Uh, and, and I mean, your, your notes are fantastic. This is what people out there who are listening don't know. But JK and I both oh. absolutely love Mark's no, wonderful stuff yeah he brings a personal touch to it which is quite un- quite remarkable but r- watching it all again and, and and reading your notes it's just struck me that sutton is up there 
I mean, we talk about Werner looking like a terrier chasing a balloon. Uh, or And I can't remember who, who it was now. They're, they're all mingling into one. But we've had players who look like giraffes trying to, you know, play football, what have you. But their ineptitude is amazing. But, I mean, it didn't start with Sutton. That's the thing, that we've had plenty of absolutely awful, hopeless strikers who were supposed to be good. But Sutton is up there. And this performance kind of set the tone, really, didn't it? Yeah, there is a romanticism, I think, in, in Chelsea fans. They always want their number nine, you know, to be a success. And we've had so many of them down the years. So few birth. have, mate. No, we had, we had uh, reverse. I would say, like, you, know, you had your Osgoods, you had your Dixons, you've had your Drogbers, you've had your Costas, you've had your Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank. Yeah, but Drogba but didn't wear number nine. Yeah, but yeah, but Drogba didn't wear number nine, and nor did Costa. And I think we need to be strict on this. Oh, you'll be very. Yeah, safe. I am. So basically, we've had Osgood, we've had Kerry Dixon, we've had Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank, yeah, and Khalid Belarus as well. <laughs> Steve Sibwell, yes, <laughs> <laughs> and he was better than Chris Sutton, I tell you. But there is still that. Romantic optimism is you want your striker, your main man, your new striker, your ten million pound signing to hit the ground running. You want him to well, be. He certainly hit the ground, mate. <laughs> I'm coming to that. Yeah. You want him to get twenty goals in a season, uh, and we were on fire that day. Absolutely brilliant start. Some great goals scored. You know, as Peter Reid said, you know, we got a right hiding today. I now know how David Crockett felt at the Alamo. But Sutton in the first half had two brilliant chances. You know, he beats the off- offside trap. You know, Sutton were playing a high line that day. He's only got Sorison to beat. And for somehow, he put it wide. And then you can sort of see that moment around the whole ground, like, you know, people sort of like sighing. And then a few minutes later, we break through again. He beats the offside tra- trap again. But this time he fell over the ball. <laughs> I think that, which proves it, proves my point. Werner is only doing it out of politeness to honour all of our strikers from the past. That's that's what it is. He's a Chris Sutton tribute band. Yeah. They've all been at it, though. It's quite frightening. Well, didn't, didn't he actually duplicate this performance on many occasions? This is what made us this was the raise our hands in despair. This was this ability or lack of ability to actually be, beat the offside trap. I mean, that's a, that was an advantage he had. And yes. then we one-on-one with the goalkeeper and miss with immense regularity was something that we just could not deal with after a bit. Uh, but th- there is uh, another side to this as well. Whether it was his first game or Viali feeling sorry for whatever, he has, you know, he gets substituted on the 73rd minute and Viali brings Flo on. And we talked about Flo. I'm... Massive fan of Tori Andrew Flo. I think he's a great, great player for us. Um, uh, Flo's only on the pitch about three minutes and he scores. <laughs> yeah. which uh, mo- There are a couple of trademark things that Flo used to do, which I used to love, which was he'd, he'd because he'd long giraffe-like legs, he's a giraffe, but he would, he would great pace on the ball. He, he'd had ability to, to either take it wide around the defender or even cut in, but drive it into in, um, far post, just absolutely... Unbelievably accurately. This was a regular goal-scoring method of his. Just a really crisp drive. Um, uh, just too quick for the goalkeeper, but also a terrific feat. But the other thing he had, this other ability, was to chip the ball with unbelievable expertise over the goalkeeper as the goalkeeper came out. You see lots of people trying it, even Havertz trying it a couple of times, and particularly last season, the ball going over the bar. But he was absolutely 
um, uh, meticulous with his ability to just loft it over the goalkeeper and time it so the goalkeeper would make the dive and it was there in the back of the net. He was an, an unbelievably class act this season in particular, 19 goals I think he got absolutely phenomenal. Phenomenal performance. I'll, I'll, I'll give Sutton some due. He did come out afterwards. You know, he did face the press and basically said, you know, some more power to him on that. I'll probably not get you know, two better chances all season to score today, but I'm not worried. I missed hundreds of chances before and I'm not worrying now. And I'm going to miss hundreds of chances again, he should have added. Hundreds of chances more. But the press already, whether it was a £10 million, they already had the, sort of the, the knife into him. And obviously, Des Kelly, who's... Does he do BT Sport now, Des Kelly, if I remember right? Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, Des Kelly was working at the Mirror then, I think, before he went out or married Carol Vorderman. I can't comment. Yeah, can't. Hang on, whoa, 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 whoa. Pause rewind. Is Des Kelly married to, to Carol Vorderman? He was, yeah. They were, they were an item. They were a couple for many years. I did not know that. There you, there you go. I don't just talk football. You know. He's gone I up did, in my estimations. I do the gossip columns as well. Yeah. Well, this is how Des Kelly at the start of the season describes Chris Sutton. And you might remember this film. Chris Sutton is the water world <laughs> of strikers. Yes. An overhyped, budget-busting, Kevin Costner-style catastrophe playing in a premiership ground near you. He is like watching a car crash in slow motion. Yeah, he's nailed it. He's nailed it. Yeah, we need to we need to send that quote to Dan, so the next time he's on Gone in sixty seconds, he can he can Uh, read that quote out, and I'll guarantee he'll never never get asked back. (laughs) But it would be fun. It would be fun to hear. Just quickly picking up on what you said about flow, and and I I mean. I cannot agree with you chaps more. I, I also totally love Torre Andre Flo. Um, and, and I haven't got the... I, I stupidly didn't open Bound of uh, Friardale tonight, although I should have done. But I, I, I think, I think in the annals of history fame, when we, we often talk about all these abject strikers that we've had, I think that Flo is massively underrated and underappreciated, JK. Oh, completely. I never understood why... He, he was sub. He came on as a sub a lot, and I never worked out. Did, did it was that the Viali or whatever manager regarded him as as a kind of um, uh, uh, Solskjaer kind of duplicate? You know, you bring him on to 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 win the game for for you because um, he seems to have that that ability that that hitting the target. He was a very accurate striker indeed. That was one of his great strengths. Um, given an opportunity, you wouldn't see him missing the goal one on one with the goalkeeper. He would he would just slot it home beautifully. Um, so uh, uh, I never quite. I mean, having said that though, I, I'm speaking from my memory of this. He occasionally would start and not be terribly impressive. He might get a goal. So whether this was what they agreed was he was a he was like a shock substitute, um, super sub. He'd come on later, but um, uh, uh, in particular this season he was. Uh, absolutely devastating magnificent performer this season i remember yeah i'm just just looking at his career stats now and uh he made 163 appearances 69 of which were sub and he scored 50 goals and if you look at the stats for this season as well yeah it almost mirrors it yeah we played 61 games this season he was involved in 57 of those games but twenty of them, he came off the bench as a sub. Yeah. yeah. So that was what was the way that Viali thought of him, obviously. And as I say, I think that was an an accurate 
um, assessment of, of from the management. I'm agreeing with the management. Um, I would hope so. Um, that he seemed to come on and uh, and just it gave a different angle to the game and he'd revitalize what was going on. That was my tendency. You'd think, come on, bring Flo on. Come on, he'll do something. And he would. So he, he was I mean, what I loved about Flo, he, I thought he was just, a, you know, his his. He was clinical in front of goal. I think that's how I would I, w- I would put it. I mean, the number of times that he would get into a good position to score, even a, only a half position to score, yeah, he score, would score from half chance. Yeah, he'd absolutely. Put it away, you know. And I mean, I said, a, his, with his accuracy was unbelievably accurate. You knew if he got enough time to shoot, he would. It would be corners and and you know top corner. It was very rarely a shot hit straight at the goalkeeper. He was. He was a very, very clever man. He was indeed. Uh, And uh, thankfully he came on and uh, took over from Chris Sutton and scored almost immediately afterwards, as as Mark said. Petrescu cross. Yes, Petrescu. I want to discuss him throughout the show, actually. I want to pause on him for a while because uh, a few things interested me about that. Um, We then played Scontorigo in our first, uh, what was a preliminary round of the Champions League. Uh, We struggled to score for 76 minutes and then pop three along inclu- uh, including one from Babiaro, then Poyer and then Sutton got his debut goal on 84 minutes so he clearly found his level um the next uh the next match in the Premier League was away and we played Leicester and we drew two all which was a bizarre match with the uh, Heskey scoring after 10 minutes Wise equalizing on 48 uh and then it was all about the last minute wasn't it Mark yeah the last minute is a Chelsea old boys reunion uh, but both on the Leicester side so one, one all uh, we give away a penalty in the last minute so Muzzy is it of the former Chelsea Parish he scores to put Leicester ahead game one for Leicester we immediately go up the other end and we have to thank um, Mr Sinclair bless him uh, he helps us out by heading the ball into his own net Class, classic Frank own goal it has to be said yeah, something we'd seen once or twice at Chelsea. So he Three or four times. Equaliser. But the other interesting stat is the week before, Leicester had played at Arsenal on the opening day of the season and Frank had scored in that game as well. A known goal? No goal. <laughs> Two weeks running. I mean, dear old Frank, he, he must have scored. I, I mean, I don't know if anybody knows this stat. We need to find this out. Of who has scored the most own goals in a professional footballing career. But Frank has got to be up there. Because he did for Chelsea. Sorry, yeah. he's probably for Chelsea. He's got more than Graham Wilkins. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. Graham Wilkins. I can think of I think three Graham Wilkins own goals, but none more than that. Yeah, and Frank did more than that. Oh Chelsea. yeah, but he was doing it. For, he did it for us. He did it for Leicester as well. I mean, Frank, wherever he went, he scored own goals. Bless him. Yeah. We should have asked him that, J.K. We had him on the the Love Sports Show one week, didn't we? Do you remember that? Yeah, I'd forgotten that. Didn't yeah, we? yeah, did. that's right. I think we were slightly in awe. I think we thought that might be a little bit too rude. Yeah, that that, I, I, that surprises me about us both, actually. But uh, I yeah, think he might true. be right. Well, yeah, I think yeah. The fact it's a you know, he played for our team and scored some decent goals. We wanted though. to be nice. I like. See, I, I've got a lot of love for Frank. Maybe that's what it was. I didn't want well, to be Frank, horrible. Frank is lovely. Frank is lovely. And yeah. again, you know, Frank scored in the League Cup final for us. Yeah, indeed. indeed. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think we spent a lot of time talking about uh, uh, the United final didn't we actually and the fact that you know he, he should never have, he, he it was never a foul and that's what he was saying it was never a foul and it was never off offside or whatever i don't know but um 
I was just going to just completely uh, fried my mind. I was going to talk about something else completely, but never mind. Oh, I know. That's what I was going to say. We had Joe Allen on once, didn't we, JK? And he was really drunk. Do you remember that? Do you remember that? <laughs> I was, yeah, and I couldn't, I wanted to ask so many questions about why had he celebrated and run into the shed on one occasion yeah. when we only had a few minutes left in the game and it was, I think, a League Cup, in the Cup game. And I didn't tell him that when there were only 7,000 people in, I'd shouted out, this game i hate you alan and it reverberated around the stands and i on reflection i'm i'm rather ashamed that i did it but he was playing so dreadfully and i couldn't uh i did it for the laugh i'm afraid i got lots of laughs because there are only seven thousand in what game would that have been that i watched him seven thousand uh, would probably been, 1992 it was 1992 it would probably yeah. be a zenith data cup game uh yes. I, know, yes. I know we played southampton I think we got knocked out by Southampton in the semi-final and they beat, you know, they beat us over two legs. And because I think Michael Jilks made his debut in that game. So Joe Allen might have played Yes, yes, yes. You're right. I remember Jilks playing most of the game, yeah. Yeah. And playing quite well, actually, as well, I remember. He was a decent player at the time. A decent wing. He was a winger, of course, wasn't he, Jilks? I think his his two goals at the the start of the season were against um, Notts County and Wimbledon. Mm. Well, uh, I would have liked to have asked Joe Allen why he was so spiky and drunk because he was clearly both when he spoke to us on Love Sport Radio. But there you go. Um, next match was a one nil, a one nil win against Villa, uh, which was marked by Ambrosetti's debut. We then had the uh, return leg of the Scont Ariga, Scont Ariga, Scont Ariga. What a great name! What was Ambrosetti called, Chidge? Gab- the Italian Ryan Giggs. That's right. It was nothing like. Anyway, uh, Carlo, could you, could you, oh God, I'll get my teeth in in a minute. Carlo Cudicini made his debut against Scont Ariga. Uh, what, what intrigued me about this match, Mark? I don't know if you went or not. Did you go? What, to Riga? Yeah. No, I didn't. No. Yeah. I know a few people that did. Well, yeah, I was yeah. going to say there were only 5,023 people in the crowd that night. So I was thinking people people moan about allocations now. I was wondering, I wonder what the allocation for Chelsea fans was. Do you know, for some reason, did Marco go? I think he might have done. Yeah, because I think he's covered it. Because he's, his book, um, Overland and Sea, covered all the European games he did. Yeah. 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 He might, might have done, yeah. We'll have to read, if, for people listening, if you haven't read Marco's trilogy of books, uh, Overland and Sea is the first one, and it does cover this season, and they are they, they, you'll get the answer in there, is what I'm kind of saying in an oblique way. Uh, we then come back, and uh, we, uh, we go to Wimbledon, and we win 1-0 with a Petrescu screamer. Now, here's the thing, J.K. I wanted to mention Dan Pet Rescue earlier on, didn't I? A player beloved by so many of us. Wonderful player. Um, and I think, you know, I think under Viali, I would I be right in saying he was getting a bit of a raw deal? I mean, it looked like an angry goal to me. And I mean, well, he, uh, his lack of selection was yeah. something that uh, really pissed me off. I mean, he still played a large number of games, didn't he, in the season? But um, how many did he play? Well, I'll tell remember. you. Keep talking, and I'll find you the answer. Uh, I'll keep talking and you'll find the answer. I will, because I've got it written down here. Uh... Forty-seven games. Well, he forty-seven. Played... No, he played he... forty-seven. Yeah, and he yeah. scored. But but um, um, only twenty-four in the uh, in the Premier League. Five subs. Um, uh, and only played in the Champions League thirteen times. It gave the impression that he wasn't. Um, he did wasn't picked all. I suppose if you played sixty-one games in the season, uh, the fact he didn't play fourteen of them. 
you just think, well, but, but I got the impression that he, he he wasn't selected at certain times. I think he should have been. I think there was friction between him and the manager. Well, I, I, exactly. And I got the impression he wasn't happy. Hence, I thought it was a very angry goal, but nevertheless, a lovely one. Now, talking of other midfielders that we didn't feel, I didn't feel we saw enough of, but uh, there's a good reason for that. It was Robbie Di Matteo um, injured his ankle, didn't he? And had to have surgery, which kept him out for two months. But anyway, we finished August in third place in the Premier League. Uh, so we move on to September. We beat Newcastle at home with a Frank LeBeouf penalty. Uh, and then arguably, I mean, this is a good question, actually. It's got to be our biggest match since what, Mark? AC Milan at home in the Champions League, the proper round, proper group stage. Oh, probably biggest since uh, probably one of our cup winners cup games at home. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, massive. But I, th- I think in terms of the the stature of the club that we were playing, I mean, if you think about you think about the kind of players that Milan had. Yeah. I mean, I I think it's it. You know, I'm, I mean, I mean, even the Real Madrid side in the Super Cup, I don't think had as many stellar players as as Milan did. No, this this was this was you know a real strong Milan team. You know, you know, I, I think you know. I can't remember how Ray Wilkins described it on the video, but you know this this A-listers. That's how he described Milan. My this word, a, yeah, yeah. My 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 word. This was this was an A-list game. Yeah, but it was. You know, there was a, you know, there was something special about. We were in the Champions League. We're up we're up there with the big boys as well. Here in the Champions League music. You know, and that was probably one of the best nil nils you'll ever see. Yeah, it was a really good end to end game. We had chances. I think Milan's keeper Abiato made, I think, two or three key saves. I think most of them from Zola, from memory. But when the draw was made, and you sort of think, you know, four, we're in AC Milan. We might not even get through the group stage. But actually, we were very good that night. Yeah. We very much held our own, didn't yeah, we? Definitely. But it, it, but in a sense, is it surprising that that was the case? I think we were slightly underestimating ourselves because I felt that the there was a, there were several there were lots of class acts in that side, you know Dennis playing out of his skin. Dennis Wise had a fantastic season, especially in the the Champions League. Um, you've got Flo playing. Poet was great, and you've got Desai and and Desai Nobeuf, both of whom I think we we discussed it before raised their game when they're playing against this kind of opposition. And their top side, you've got Zola, and I felt this wasn't one of Zola's great seasons. I felt because he only scored four goals in the season, whereas um, uh, he did a massive assists. But um, what what we didn't what we didn't have, J.K. and I think I think you I think you make. I mean, I'm going to return to it in the summary actually, but I think it's a superb point. You know that actually, why were we surprised? We had we had world class yes. players throughout yes. that team, but Absolutely. what we what we didn't have, and I think this is very relevant. It's very hard to do a program. What? It's got to, got to be, what, 25, 25 years since nearly, you know, it's a long time ago. But if you remember the 90s and the Champions League uh, and remember when United, uh, you know, got into the competition in the in the early 90s and were, were routinely dumped out of it, uh, you know, it very inauspiciously by the likes of Barcelona, you name it. What we didn't have was like what they didn't have when they went into the competition, and that was any real experience. Okay, I know we had World Cup winners and stuff, but as a team, as a club, we'd never been in the Champions League before, and it was a very different competition. So we didn't have that experience. So that's what kind of worried me when we went into it, was that uh, you know we're not going to know how to really play in the Champions League. So what I was most delighted about was 
do you know what? We fucking well did. And well, that, that, was would... a good, that was a good, you know, if you look at that Milan team that night, they had some massive players in there. You know, they had Catuso, you know, they had Maldini, they had Costa Curta, they had Ayala, they had Shevchenko, they had Oliver Bierhoff, and they had Leonardo. That was a top Milan team. And we gave them a game that night, no question. Yeah. Here's a question. Is Bierhoff German for pub? I'd like to think it would be. Well, Bierhoff, yeah. beer house, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, where, where are we going, Oliver? We're going down the Bierhoff. Oliver pub, Olivier yeah. pub even. Yeah, Olivier's pub. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. they they had class all over the place, didn't they? As you said, you know, Ayala, Costa Curta, Maldini, uh, Albertini, Catuso, Shevchenko, Olivier Pub, Leonardo. I mean, you know, almost every single one of their players is a, is is was well known, even to the likes of me. You know, didn't you watch Milan last season? Well, you know, you know what I'm like. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it was it was not disappointing to draw nil nil actually in that match. Uh, what was disappointing though, Mark, was the next match, wasn't it? Oh, <laughs> his face! It is <laughs> to quote yeah. Barry Davis. Just look yeah. at his face. We go. <laughs> go from being at Stamford Bridge, our first ever game in the Champions League, where we really stepped up and gave Milan a game. We felt at home in the Champions League to wander along a few days later. To a relegation-bound Watford, yeah, the pretty room. much you know, a few changes. Jess Hogarth and Boogie came in, but we had our World Cup winners in Morris, there. Morris came in. Morris played. Yeah, we had Desai. We had Deschamps playing. Yeah, and we stunk the place out. You know, and I think I said it on previous shows, as good as Desai was in the Champions League games, sometimes in the Premier League he just drifted, yeah, you know, and wasn't as interested. You know, when it mattered, you know, the big game, Desai was absolutely brilliant for us. But in some of those Premier League games, and this is reflective on the season as well, you know, we, we just didn't perform. Now, credit to Viali, you know, he made Chris Sutton captain this particular day. Did he really? I forgot that. Yeah, Chris Sutton was captain this particular day. Was yeah. he noticing in training that perhaps he wasn't doing terribly well and he was trying to give him some responsibility? I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why he made him captain. You know, and obviously he rested Dennis, which again, there's sometimes some of the Ali's sort of formation this season. Dennis, as JK said, he was playing out of his skin this season. And I think you don't rest Dennis wise. You keep playing him. You know, he'll play football all day long for you. Um, and obviously Sutton is captain. You're looking to Sutton you know, to inspire his teammates. The only thing Sutton ended up doing was getting booked. <laughs> and there was a moment during the game, and obviously uh, Watford have had a, you know, you know like, like, like they do now, a struggling season, end up getting relegated. Um, and the Watford fans, their next game, I think, must have been against Arsenal because they were singing, bring on the Arsenal. And the Chelsea fans sang back, bring off the English. Because <laughs> clearly our English players were not, not performing and at that point, they were probably you know, the, the weak links in the side. And the interesting thing, when they interviewed Viali afterwards, you know, and he, he can't do it in a northeastern accent, but he said, we were poor today. <laughs> yeah. It is our duty. See that? It is our duty to take three points from teams like Watford. We have to be able to play as well against the likes of Watford as we did against the likes of Milan. Yeah, couldn't put it better. JK, in all the years you've been following Chelsea, you hardly ever miss a match, home or away. But how would you feel if you couldn't be there and it's not on TV? 
Oh, Chich, I'd be bereft. Inconsolable. The thought of missing my beloved Blue Boy's life. <laughs> it's all too much. <laughs> I know, JK, I know. It's all a bit too much, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> well, panic not. NordVPN have come to the rescue. They have? Yep, NordVPN allows us to watch any match, even if it's not on live TV here. They do? Yeah, they do. With just one click, they switch your virtual location to a country which is showing the match, and they act as your cyber bodyguard whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like card details and passwords. Oh, wow, great. Uh, But yeah, I bet that'll cost me a fortune. Actually, JK, it's only the price of a cup of coffee per month, and you can use your account across six devices. It's a bargain, JK, and best of all, no more tears for you. Oh, thank you, thank you, NordVPN. I'm so happy I could cry. <laughs> Where do I sign up, Jidge? Well, to get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support the Chelsea Fancast. The link is in the podcast episode description box. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Yeah. Fans, real I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to Chidge and the Boys on the Chelsea Football Fancast. Total nutters and proper Chelsea. And uh, 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 there was a feeling at the time that we were sort of cursed by having playing in the Champions League during the week and then we'd lose at the weekend. But he would make changes that didn't make sense. And uh, uh, and, and it, it, it dismayed me all season. And because of what he'd, I'm afraid, I, I had, um, he wasn't my favourite manager because of what he'd done at the end of the season before when I felt he'd thrown in the towel too soon. And uh, this just confirmed it for me. I just think he wasn't good enough for the whole season with the players that he had yeah. with him. Well, it's, it's something we're going to return to possibly in the summary, but it's worth talking about now because actually I, I hear what you're saying and he, he got a lot of criticism levelled against him for that and he fell out with a lot of players and ultimately it, it cost him his job, which upset me hugely at the time. But I, I would say that, you know, this, this goes back to what I was saying about uh, the first Champions League campaign and... I mean, even now we know that it is difficult to manage when you're in a lot of different competitions and, and, and coaches try and find various ways out of it. They were then, they are now. And rotation is one of them, having a big enough squad to be able to cope with that. And of course, with rotation comes the usual player dissatisfaction, which leads to the fallings out and all of that. So, I, I mean, I hear what you say, and I, I don't think... Luca was unimpeachable in some of the decisions he made, but I do have some sympathy with him because it's that was the first time as a club we'd had to manage that kind of situation. And actually, it's interesting, you know, when we were watching a bit of the video before we went on air, it just struck me again 
we're used to this now. You know, one week you're playing in a quarter final in the Champions League against against Barcelona, one of the best teams in the world. The next weekend you're playing Newcastle in a in an FA Cup semi-final. I mean, that, that's been happening to us, you know, for the last 20 years now. It's normal. Back then, I don't think it was. And I think it was probably a lot harder as a, as a squad and a club to cope with then than it is now. And of course, he never, never played Mark Nichols. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. That, that, that is the answer. It's like, what's the question of life? The, you know, the answer to life, the universe, Mark Nichols. Obviously, Nichols. obviously. Um, no, it's such a shame that, that, that the, the decision at the beginning of the season to, with, with terrible hindsight, to buy Sutton had such of an impact on yeah, the rest of the yeah, season. I'm totally right, mate. I think you're right. I mean, it's, it's, it's just the, the... I mean, you know, this season, the, the perfect season for us to be doing in this season because the parallels are so obvious. Yeah. 61 mm. fixtures, injuries all over the place, hard to, to, to manage that situation, and a striker who, you know, who cannot score. But also a striker who was second choice. Yeah, there we go. It goes on and on and on. There you go. See, history repeats all the time. There we go. Uh, anyway, we the next game, funnily enough, is a is a is a Champions League game. Now I remember I, I didn't go to Berlin, but I remember watching this on the television. Being absolutely, I did. Well, well I went. I'll, it's all right. Okay, okay. I'll get I'll get to you in a minute. I'm just I'm just remembering. I did. You, you just remembered that you were there. Well, brilliant. <laughs> well, I, I watched it on the TV and I couldn't believe that we lost. And and that Ali Da annoying little twat that he was from Bayern Munich that I think they signed him but I really couldn't believe that we'd lost that because we were so you know we were we were so you know we were so good favourites to win it and it was it was quite a shock to me that we lost that JK but you were there you were in Berlin yeah I I, I decided to try and go to as many many away Champions League games as I possibly could so uh, I missed Galatasaray but I thought I went to all the rest I just uh, I just um, you didn't fancy hell then I didn't go to uh, uh, no, I know I'd heard too many horrible things about it. But uh, you watched Lawrence of Arabia too many but, uh, times. I have. <laughs> <laughs> <On> Midnight Express. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, several years spent in a prison. Yeah, like that. That would be great fun, wouldn't it? Yes. I can imagine that. Yes. Yeah. So, Mark, I mean, you know, we were talking about uh, stepping up in the Champions League against the really, really big sides, and then you know, not turning up for the next one against Watford. In a weird sense, this was the same, but in the Champions League, I think they, I think they rocked up. Thinking, well, it's only her to Berlin. You know, they're named after a hot dog. They're, no, they're not a problem at all. Uh, and of course, they didn't turn up, did they? Yeah, a real surprise to defeat. I think when you looked at the group, what you'd hoped for was, you know, we'd finish second in the group to Milan, um, and Hertha Berlin would be the whipping boys. But at one point, like Hertha Berlin were at the top of the group, so they were the surprise package. A surprise to defeat. Viali said. Poor physically, poor mentally, poor tactically. I have to accept some of the responsibility as I'm the one who picks the team. I train the team. And when the team does not perform, then I must be doing something wrong. So almost like a self-admission there. Did he pick the wrong team? Yeah. Yeah, maybe he that did. Was a, that, was a, that was a surprise defeat. It was. Um, we follow that up with a, a 1-0 win against Middlesbrough in the league away. Uh, Bernard Lambord scored. Gascoigne got sent off on 90 minutes, much to my hilarity. Uh, Interesting that, goal, wasn't it? It was kind of bustling the ball in with, after a wonderful Zola free kick. I mean, Zola, you must, one must remember Zola's wonderful ability to hit yeah, free kicks. Brilliant. The brilliant little Italian. Or, uh, OK, so we had, then, we, then we had Galatasaray at home in the Champions League. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, another pet rescue goal on 55. 
The uh, the two comedic things here, I think, Tafarel, who was, of course, the Brazilian national keeper, got sent off on 32 minutes, which made our job uh, a lot easier, although we still made hard work of it. And, of course, the wonderfully named Fatty Terim was their manager. Of course, he's still around now managing all sorts of clubs, isn't he? Fatty Terim always used to make me laugh. Uh, probably only surpassed by uh, a German or, or might even be an Austrian manager called Otto Fister, who was a great favourite uh, name of mine. Yes. I made great comedic value about that in a show that I made for, for I can't even remember who it was for now, in the 2006 World Cup. There was a bit of an issue with, with Terim. I forgot to mention this. Um, and it but, wasn't his weight, obviously. <laughs> um, it, it, what he said afterwards, he suggested we deliberately failed to send someone to Heathrow Airport to meet the Turkish party on arrival. We failed to provide security guards for his players and we hadn't laid on any training facilities. It must have been a breakdown of communication because always the Champions League, you provide training facilities on the home pitch the night before the game. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Apparently, Galatasaray's players and managers were held up at Heathrow Airport for 90 minutes at passport control. <laughs> so they hired QPR's training ground in Ealing because they firmly believed that Chelsea had arranged nothing for them. Yeah. So what Turim said is we had to get our own training pitch a long way from the ground. We had to pay for it ourselves. We will be complaining to UEFA. You know, we were also told at Heathrow by passport control that we were held up because they'd not been told by Chelsea that we were coming. <laughs> <laughs> Chelsea will get this back with interest. I'm asking that my chairman, directors, and supporters, you know, we are upset about this, you know. And then clearly, then no surprise, he's wound up his own fans. And obviously, we'll talk about the return game later. But they're all welcome to hold banners at Istanbul Airport. Whereas we got welcome to indifference. We had banners out saying apparently. But uh, we're, we're bored. Come on, that happens at every Champions I know. League. They're in the Champions League for the first time as well. This is what happens. Yeah. You get you get the, you know, the training ground the night before. Yeah. Silly people. Anyway, uh, so we're still kind of progressing quite well in the Champions League. We're fifth in the Premier League uh, by the end of September. We go into October and we've got Man United at home who I don't think, I think they have, they're unbeaten in 29 games as far as I remember. Uh, Gus Poyet opens the scoring on a minute. Sutton scores his second uh, penultimate goal for Chelsea on 16. Poyet gets another one on 54. Bergen own goal on 59. Morris another one on 81 minutes. We absolutely stuffed the shit out of them 5-0. It's one of my favourite matches. Uh, to be fair to them, they had a substitute goalkeeper, didn't they? They had that right. wonderful Taibi who who, who yeah. famously let in a goal from Matt Letizia through his legs. He was absolutely awful, wasn't he? Paolo yeah. Decat. I mean, he 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 made so many ricks. As how on earth? Why? On earth, I mean, it makes you wonder how a manager as good as Alex Ferguson clearly was. How on earth he could have signed? It's almost like that Graham Souness. Um, what's the guy's name? Al Dair or whatever his name. Not the Ali Dair from Hertha and the Ali Dair. George Ware's cousin. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just insane, isn't it? I mean, it was a brilliant match, brilliant day. I know we were all there. Um, Nicky Butt, of course, was sent off, wasn't he, on 23 minutes mark for uh, retaliating to a classic bit of wiseism. Oh, definitely. This is a bit of wisey at his best. Uh, uh, I think they were tussling on the ground and Wise pulls the hairs on Nicky Butt's leg. So Wise obviously gets booked for that, but, you know, Bart gets sent off because he retaliates. Yeah, um, I'm sure it was his hairs on his leg. I, I thought it was the hairs on his leg. Yeah, I, I thought he, I thought he, he tweaked his cock. No, no, the hairs on his leg. Yeah, okay. 
he literally pulled the hairs off. He grabbed hold of his hairs and pulled them off. Now you you have that done to you. That it's hurts. Painful, man. Painful. It's yeah. like a nipple tweak. Yeah. Actually, the pairs on your nipple, if you got any, like, yanking those off. That's a classic football trick. I reckon Wisey learnt that playing AC Milan. You know, I remember I had uh, Graham Rousseau on a on a show once, and he told me some stories about playing for England against Italian teams and he said it was like nothing he'd ever experienced before every trick in the book every nasty little snide dark art thing like that came out he said so I wouldn't be surprised if Wisey picked that up from his uh, sojourn uh, well his, his game against AC Milan he hasn't gone over there yet um I mean JK I mean I, I remember leaving that I mean people forget actually what a massive result that was at the time because United were unbeaten for 29 minutes and even though Butt was sent off we absolutely crucified them didn't we we did but I I felt um, we weren't playing proper United because the goalkeeper was so dreadful at the time and particularly the first goal where he ran out of the penalty area to try and get across to punch it and all Poyet had to do was get his head on it great header though looped over but uh, looped over it. Well, nonetheless, yeah, but still, but nonetheless, uh, Schmeichel would have saved it. It was a kind of feeling at the time that um, uh, uh, it was it was wonderful, wonderful. But I, I, I was just I found myself not being happy we'd played a, a proper United side. I'm trying to think who else was missing from that United side. It was a strong team, other than the goalkeeper. You know, that's that's a decent United side. They had Erwin Berg, Yapstam, Sylvester. They had Beckham. Skulls, Neville, York, Andy Cole. Yeah, yeah. it was the top United side. I don't know, I don't know why I was so... And they, and they were European champions. Yeah. And they were unbeaten for 20-odd games, as Chidge said. That was their first defeat of the season, you know, and first defeat for that period. So I, I thought it was great. Yeah. I oh, really I loved it. I know, it was wonderful. Loved I loved it. But at the time, I, yeah, yeah. And uh, what I love also was um, Jody Morris always used to do his... His horns. And he, he, whenever he scored, without fail, he'd do it. I kept thinking, whenever he scored, I'd think, is he going to do it this time? Oh, yeah, he's done it. There yeah, he goes. The other thing, I don't know if you notice, watching this back um, on, on the tape and comparing it to now, what I noticed watching it again was the noise in the ground, you know, and that's a TV recording. And when you sometimes see Chelsea now on, on, on TV, and the noise that day, and you had people, you know, bashing the sort of sides of like, you know, um, the shed and the Matthew Harding and that one, two, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, five nil, you know, going around the whole, the noise at the ground that day was tremendous, but that gets replicated a lot of the times during the season. Our fans made a lot of noise that year. They did. I mean, you could say, Mark, they raised the roof, particularly on the West End. Yeah, yeah, there wasn't, there wasn't anything. anything on That's because the they raised it. <laughs> because they raised it. You're absolutely right. Because <laughs> of course he hadn't finished the building work. No. In the ground, so the capacity of the ground was only about what 33,000, 34, 34, yeah. So it was a lot lower than it is now. And of course, it wasn't. In, I mean, you know, I mean, it's interesting about the noise, isn't it? And there's you could, we could have endless debates about how noisy Chelsea was pre the new incarnation of the stadium and how noisy it is afterwards and how quiet it is now compared to when it was, blah blah. But the reality is actually is that when, when it was completed, uh. It, it keeps the noise in in a way that we'd never had before, actually. Mm. I mean, I, I might get uh, eviscerated by all my elderly chums, but I think it's arguably noisier now, not right this minute, but since we actually had it as a, as a, a kind of a smaller, more enclosed ground. 
Why would you be eviscerated, Chish? It's completely because true. it's almost sacrilege to say that it wasn't as noisy back in the seventies. But it couldn't 80s. have been because of the the the, well, the, the dog layout track. of the layout yeah. of the dog track and everything. Yeah, it couldn't have been. I mean, I've yeah. heard I've, I've I've heard players. You know, we know a lot of the players from those days, and they all say that it was you know it was tough to get a noise going there because it was so open. You know, even though the shed was very very loud, it didn't travel. Well, I I I, I went there on several occasions when there were sixty thousand in the crowd when there were. When there were banks without the west stand yeah. the old west stand hadn't been built all you have is the east stand and the north stand and it was definitely not as noisy because the, the sound just, the sound just disappeared yeah, yeah. exactly that exactly you what you were in your vicinity that you were you were in because you were standing and you're surrounded by many many concertina supporters you're all stuck next to them it was loud but only in pockets you're not yeah. getting that from the whole of the ground you know what i mean when i when i lived in lots road and i didn't go to a game um compared to now uh it was it was very very noisy but that's exactly why because the noise traveled out of the bloody ground into north End road and lots road and places like that you could hear it there you know but not in the ground but anyway we digress as we often do um there you go united 5-0 i enjoyed that i didn't enjoy losing 1-0 to uh Huddersfield Town in the worth the worthless cup, the League Cup. Kenny Irons scored on seventy seven minutes. I was there. Ken Moncar was playing for them, of he course. He was. Uh, and Steve Bruce was their manager. It went a bad side, you know, because Bruce then got picked up really soon after that. He did, and it was your mate Mark Nichols. It was his final perf- uh, performance for Chelsea or appearance for Chelsea. Yeah. So there you go. So Bullet said he was a wonderfully class player, and he did score. In the in the six one at the lane, so he did, uh, he did indeed. Uh, he always, always have a place in my memory. Robert Wollaston's uh, debut as well. Uh, we then follow that up with a, a match up at Anfield, um, which we we lost one nil. A bit of a feisty affair. This Desai got sent off after seventy three minutes, didn't he, Mark? I mean, what what I would say is that the goal was scored by David Thompson, who is arguably the most scouse looking bloke I've ever seen. He was born up there, though, wasn't he? But he, 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 is, he just looks... You don't have to hear him speak. You just know he's a scout. Anyway, he's Mark. actually an absolutely terrific player, Thompson. Was he really? Yeah, and his, his, his career was, was um, ended by injury when he was 30. And he was absolutely... I, when, you, when you watch a player and you, you, he's not in your club and you just think, I wish this person was playing for Chelsea. I wish he was playing for my nah, club. He looks too scouse, mate. In, and now I, well, I could have coped with it. I could have coped with the Joey Jones looks a bit scouse, and I was even though he was, he was Welsh. Welsh. I know it doesn't matter. I still thought he was a bit scouse, <laughs> and I, I I loved having him play for us. <laughs> Mickey Thomas, he he looked a bit scout. No, he didn't. He looked Welsh as well. He was Welsh as well. I loved him. He looked him a play. bit too Welsh, obviously. He looked too Welsh. <laughs> looked too Welsh. <laughs> both breathing fire, both dragons. But um, but no, he was, and I followed his careers uh, subsequently because he 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 he, he played went to for Blackburn, Pat- didn't he? He did. He did. He was a really terrific player, and he's actually um uh, he's a, he's a BBC um pundit. Is he really? Um, yeah, at the moment. Yeah, I oh, think. Really? Yeah. But he was. Uh, it was such a shame that his his twenty nine. I think he was when he stopped playing. He was really fantastic. Anyway, sorry. Digress. One of those things. I just you know I watched him and thought, bloody hell, you're good, and he was, and he scored against us. So there we go. It was a bit feisty, wasn't it, Mark? What was going on? Yeah. Eight, eight players booked, four on each side. And obviously we were 1-0 down to David Thompson's goal, as you said. And then in the last 15 minutes, we were chasing the game. We somehow managed to get Desai and Wise both sent off by referee Mike, Mike Reed. Um, so we finished the game with nine men. And it's a bit of a start um, of, of a bit of a 
Anibus Horribilis rolled into one month for Chelsea. You know, we'll, we'll talk about the Champions League games coming up. But we, we had a bit of a mare in October. We normally have a bit of a mare in December in more recent times. But it all went a bit horribly wrong this October in terms of our league form. We, you know, we, we beat United at the start and then we lost every game after that, if I remember rightly. Yes, it was. I mean, again, very, very up and down. I mean, as you say, I mean, we'll, we'll get. Let's just do them actually, because the next three matches, next four matches in October, absolutely emphasise that. Although I think there's an exception for the one sandwiched in the middle, but we'll get to that in a minute. Because the next match is uh, Galatasaray away, which I think is one of the the most astonishing uh, Chelsea performances of all time. I have to say, because what you got to remember, Galatasaray were not a bad side. Number one. They had some pretty good players playing. I mean, I'll give you an idea here. Popescu, Hadji, Hakan Suker were all playing for them. They, these were well-known, well, you know, Hadji was an absolute genius of a player. Apart from that, it was arguably one of the most uh, hostile grounds in the world. I think United were, were, went out there, didn't they, Mark? And their arses caved in, didn't they? Can you remember that? Yeah, but I, I think uh, it might have been the previous season yeah. or the year when you had all the riot shields you know, of the Turkish police protecting United when they were coming in and out of the tunnel for the amount of missiles being thrown at them. But they lost and, They lost out there too, didn't and they? they? Got, and they lost as well. And I don't know, was Cantona booked or sent off in the last minute? Yeah, they, Something went on there. So you know, Galatasaray was a fortress and you had obviously um, the welcome to hell banners. And well, I, I, I'm going to stop you there because there's a, there's a brilliant banner. I've got the photograph of this somewhere. I, I'm going to try and do a bit, something a bit naughty and put it up when I put this on the website. But there's a Chelsea flag that says, yeah. welcome to hell, we're not bothered. Yeah. yeah. But you, you had that. You had the welcome to hell banners, like, you know, the hostile environment at the airport. But we just rocked up. You know, there's a moment where Dennis Wise goes on the pitch beforehand and he videos the home fans. <laughs> so, and that, that, yeah, Mourinho used to do that in the Champions League in later years. Yeah, he'd walk out on the pitch and he'd take everything the home fans threw at them. Then he'd let the players get on with it. So massive win, winning five 0 out there in the group stage. Flow on fire that particular evening. Even the Italian Ryan Giggs, you know, rocks up with a goal for us. Uh, and Hertha Berlin, you know, beat Milan the same night. So after that silly defeat against Hertha Berlin, we're, we're back in the frame after three games. Massive, massive result. Um, and obviously there's a game in between, but then everything then goes to Milan in the next group stage well, game. But before that, well, I mean, Flo was, again, brilliant in this game, by the way, uh, worth saying. And uh, Zola uh, was also brilliant. Fantastic one-on-one with the keeper. Wisey scored as well. Uh, but the next game is Arsenal uh, at home. And uh, again, one of the uh, abiding memories I have at this time, so much so that I forgot it was this year and thought it was about two years ago when we were on the show recently. But this will forever be known as the Canu game, and I still to this day can't understand how it happened. I mean, we lost 3-2, we were cruising, uh, 38 minutes, Flo scores, uh, Petrescu on 52, and then in 15 minutes, uh, Canu scores a hat-trick, the last one in the 90th minute, uh, to get the most improbable win you've ever seen, and he scores it by basically, Ed De Hoy rushes out of his goal to try to, uh, you know, I don't know, presumably shepherd uh, Canu out, uh, into into touch uh in you know on the goal line you know what i mean not 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 the uh the, the you know, he's taking it down the goal line thank you that's what i'm struggling to say for some unknown 
mad moment in his head, whether the red mist descended or something, decided to go out of the penalty area and just stand with his knees together, um, uh, inviting him to hit the ball at him. And what he should have done was just tackle the, you know, even smash the ball into the stands or just side him down, whatever, just, just get him out of the way. And he somehow contrives to curl it round De Hoy into the corner of the net. For God's sake, what was going on? Well, it was, oh. a, it was brilliantly put away, but it was oh, just brilliant, it was brilliant, painful but, oh, to see. But, so oh, painful. I, oh, I, I, this has been one of those moments that I've had to relive in yeah. the horror of it all. It is. Too. It's a horror moment. It really oh, is. Anybody oh. who was there, it's a bit like... Oh. The, I mean, that's why I got confused, I think, on a couple of shows ago. In my mind, it conflates with the Steve Guppy goal, in a way. You know, it's not that kind of thing about it. You just, you just, it, it, it traumatizes you. I have to say, Mark, as well, you know, on this point, I mean, many people don't understand why I hate Arsenal with a huge passion. Well, the period between uh, 1995, so the last time we beat Arsenal in the Premier League was on the 30th of September, 1995. So this game, forget the League Cup wins that we had against them, two brilliant games they were, but in the league, we're on this run, we're in the middle of this run against Arsenal where we would not beat them until 2004 in the Champions League uh, quarterfinal. Uh, I mean, this is, I mean, it was just terrible, the Indian sign that they had over us at this time. And in a funny old sense, Mark, this game epitomised it for me. It was like almost saying, doesn't matter what you do against us, we're always going to beat you, you wankers. And I, I mean, it was just, it just makes you want to tear your hair out. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, this was our lean period with Arsenal, whether it was at their place or our place. Time and time again, when we thought we'd won the game, and, and they do it another time when Nigel Winterburn gets a late goal as well. I still don't know how we lost, how we lost this game. And again, I'm, I'm with you, you know, because I've often said down the years, yeah, we, we are, and we are, we are so obsessed about the whole Tottenham thing. When actually, you know, other than that one win against us, you know, they are so inferior to us, but yet we obsess about them when it should be the other way around. Uh, where actually Arsenal, we should be more focused on because, you know, I've, I've never had a liking for Arsenal since they relegated us in 1979. So I'm not forgiven them for that in the same way Tottenham relegated us in 75. But not just the league. They knocked us out of the cup several years running as well. And they beat us in Cardiff as well. You know, that's all still to come. And I was working in Camden at that time. You know, Camden is an Arsenal hotbed. So I was bloody surrounded by them. You know, so it was a bloody annoying period. And going to work that that Monday after that weekend. Oh, just horrible. You know, really, really bad defeat. We should never have lost that game. Nope. Two nil up. Yep. Two nil up. 15 minutes to go. 2-0 and we fucked it up. Um, Anyway, it doesn't matter because we have a much bigger fish to fry the next game. I can't believe I'm saying that, but it's true because we have another... I mean, this goes back to what I was saying, you know, uh, earlier on the show. Forget the Huddersfield Town game. You've had Man United at home, Liverpool away, Galatasaray away, Arsenal at home, AC Milan away. So Galatasaray, Arsenal and AC Milan in a row. Three games that all live long in the memory for various reasons, some good, some bad. Uh, but we go to the San Siro, um, again, an, an absolutely huge match. Like we were saying earlier on, they've got Costa Curta, Ayala, Maldini, Cattuso, Leonardo, Serginio, Boban, Shevchenko, all in the Milan side. Um, and it was it was a brilliant match, wasn't it, Mark? A winner, winner takes all game. Where, where the, the league was set at that point, if Milan won that night, 
we'd have to beat Hertha Berlin in the final game. But if we won, we'd have put Milan as good as out. Yeah. And no English club had ever won in the San Siro. And we gave a really good account of ourselves. 75,000 crowds, you know, and Mr. Beerhouse goal on 74 pub, minutes. Pub, pub. Pub house, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Olivier Pub. He's, we've oh, renamed oh. him. Olivier <laughs> Pub. Um, but immediately, Viali takes off Petrescu, puts Di Matteo on. And with his first touch, and with 13 minutes to go, he said... In the San Siro? In the San Siro, with 13 minutes to go, not 10 minutes to go. I know, why does it, here's a good question for you, actually. Yeah. And I what? was going to say, why, why, why don't we say 13 minutes ago? What, JK, you got any, I mean, you're the songsmith. We used to say 13 minutes. Yeah. Did we? Yeah. yeah, and people didn't um, remember, and it became 10. I kid you not, it used to, because I always used to go, hang on, it was 13, what, what, what? what? But, and then people just forgot all about it, because it was well, such a long time ago, and 10 just seemed to suit people's... Yeah non-memories because not very few people were there of course or remember it i wasn't i wasn't there i have to be honest but uh i was i i I think we rounded it down jk for simplicity's sake it must be that yes but you were there tell me about it it was just joyous it was joyous to see dennis score wonderful goal his his control in that moment from the robbie di matteo pass was immaculate phenomenal what a pass though what a part but also you know, control step back under the goalkeeper into the corner. Rush, goalkeeper rushes out. Absolutely brilliant. Everybody went berserk. Well, I was sitting amongst Italians, so I didn't go berserk. Well, you weren't the only one, actually, because, I mean, I've, I've talked about this game on the fancast many a time, and I, I remember way, way, way back when, even before JK, so it's like a BC, like JK, before JK, with the Norman boys, and they were all there with Phil, with Psycho Phil, and uh, I think they, they also managed to get seats in the Italian. They tell a hilarious story about eating chocolate spaghetti all day. <laughs> it was literally chocolate spaghetti. They'd never seen anything quite like it. It's only matched, actually, by later on in this season when they were also at the Camp Nou for the 5-1. And they, uh, they had tickets in the Barcelona end for that match. And the Barcelona fans came up to try and reclaim their seats. And they were told to fuck off very sharply by Phil. <laughs> so there we go. Police weren't called with batons then. I, I don't think they were used to it. I mean, you know, what, watching football in Spain is a very different thing to watching it over here. And they just, I, I think they are the epitome of a tourist club, aren't they, basically? So to have these gnarly Brits sat there in their seats, they, they thought about it, but not for very long. Anyway, Mark, were you there? I wasn't, no. Uh, I didn't do any European games this season. Like, um, I, I just had... Um, um, our, our second daughter, so like, yeah, virtually newly uh, born. So, uh, yeah, I was watching the pennies this season. So, yeah, missed out on probably one of the most memorable European games and a massive result for Chelsea. I, I, I think JK's right. I, I think this is kind of one of one of those games where um, it's actually quite funny. It reminds me, I had a conversation with Kerry last weekend, and uh, we I don't know how. I mean, it's amazing that we managed to get to talk about uh, that that game at Highbury. <laughs> Eighty-four. We talk about it nearly every time I speak to. Him. We were talking about the crowd there, and I think if you if you talk to the, everybody who says that they were there, it would have been two hundred thousand Chelsea fans there, not twenty thousand. I actually think that this game's quite similar. You know, I think I think you know I wasn't there. I, I I'm I, I'm very sad to say, but I think uh, it's one of those kind of things where it's grown to immeasurable proportions. J.K. Well, I, think, so, yeah, well, I know loads of people that went. 
uh, and we had a huge following out there. Yeah, I, th I think people couldn't go to Galatasaray un un unless they were mad. Well, there were only I mean, about 102 people out there, according to Drew. Galatasaray. So this was the European trip that most people yeah. went out. You know, quite a few went to Berlin, but we had thousands out in, in Milan. You know, in, in the you know in the home end and in the away end as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, and I think it's like anything. You know. It'd be a bit like Rotherham, you know, there's only 3,000 at Rotherham, but if you talk to anyone about Rotherham 6 0, we probably had 10,000 there. Yeah, yeah. And I know p people like when Glenn Hoddle played for one game for us, Chelsea Reserves, years before he became manager, you know, the thousands who claim to have seen Hoddle play for Chelsea before he became manager, when probably there's only about a couple of hundred people at a reserve game. So, yeah, these things always get sort of like gradually grown as well, tales go down the years. That's part of being a Chelsea fan. Like, like the free trade hall in Manchester and the Sex Pistols gig. Yeah, yeah. Exactly yeah. the same kind of thing. Always happens, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely... If you think about the drugs and alcohol people take, some people probably were then, don't remember being there. A bit like JK. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, the Beach Boys at Hammersmith Odeon in 1966. Well, I was only one at the time, really. I, you know, I, can't, I can't really claim to have been at that. <laughs> round, round, get around, I get around. But you know what? Mark, Mark's... Documentary out as well. Yeah, I Mark, digress. Mark's right though. I mean, I, I've 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 forgotten about things I've been to more than most people have actually been to things. I have to say, I can't remember anything else about the Milan game other than Dennis. The, the uh, wisey goal. Yeah, other than that, which is awful. It's awful. But that I'm afraid that's if I watched it, I'm sure I'd remember bits and pieces about it. But there's so many games where you all you remember is the uh, is is the great moments. The goal was one of, and obviously has been gone down in Chelsea history. But yeah. um, I think the, one of the reasons that I actually was then disappointed ultimately with the Champions League run was I felt that we were we we were on very much on a level with Milan and Milan were like a yardstick of how of uh, of, of they there was the possibility they might win it that season. They were one of the favourites. They were one of the favourites, right, rightly so. Rightly so, and the fact that we we you know we we well, we went head to head with them, mate. Absolutely right. The fact we did that made me have a. Um, perhaps a, 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 an optimism that was misplaced, but I, I, um, I was really buzzing after that. I thought we are we are real contenders in this competition as a consequence of going to Milan. Which, which, if you think about it, was was nuts, you know, at the beginning of the season because the first yeah. time we've been in the competition, you know. But we, but like like I said earlier, we we you know we we sit there. You know, it's it's quite simple, isn't it, to sit there and go, oh well, you know, Milan have got Costa Curta, Maldini, Shevchenko, Olivier, Pub, etc., etc., etc. But you know, we, sorry, but we've got Dan Petrescu, uh, Frank Leboeuf, World Cup winner, Marcel Desai, World Cup winner, Didier Deschamps, World Cup winner, Gus Poyet, bloody good player, Robbie Di Matteo, bloody good player, Dennis Wise got recalled to England that year, of course, Chappie Ferrer, ex Barcelona, uh, Franco Zola, one of the best players in the world. I mean, you know, we weren't that bad, really, were we? I thought we were. I keep going on about it. I thought we were a completely terrific side, and that's that's thus uh, ultimately as we'll get there. I found the season disappointing. Well, here we go. I'm going to bring you down right, right like a dropping stone, J.K. Because uh, we had Derby County next, and we got Wallop three-one. Mark, bloody typical. Yeah, and and that happened so many times. And uh, you know, in the, in the Champions League, we adapted it to it so quickly. But the hangover seems to be after many Champions League games, our league, league form afterwards. I think it's quite a good, a good point as well as those people listening old enough to remember club call. Yeah, Some people might even remember the telephone number. They, they dialed it so many times, especially from their place of work. Um, 60p a minute you know, to listen to 
the you know, the tones of Ken Bates, and and this is what Bates said and club call after we'd lost the derby, and you can see the ambition of the club. We want to win the Champions League, so we were comfortable in there. We want to win the FA Cup, but I was concerned that we went out of the Worthing Cup to Huddersfield because the team we fielded should have won. We should have beaten Watford, we should have beaten Derby, but we didn't. And that isn't just down to team selection, it's down to the players' attitude on the pitch. You know, so Bates is having a pop at the players. And actually, those defeats in this bad month that was October in, in the league, and actually prior to that, you know, losing to Watford on the back of a Champions League game. Had we picked up those points at Derby and Watford that we should have done, we'd have qualified at the end of the season for the Champions Indeed. League. Indeed, that's a good point. Very good point. Uh, into November, um, oh, by the way, we're, we're now eighth in the Premier League as a result of all of that. Um, in November, we uh, open up with a home match against Hertha Berlin, which decides whether or not we go into the next stage. Because this is worth, I haven't really alluded to this so far, it, the, the Champions League wasn't like it is now, where you have one group stage and then the top two go through and you go through to a round of 16. Uh, th th this year, it had two stages. So you had a group stage, then you had another group stage, and then you went into the quarterfinals. So this was decided if we would progress to stage two. And uh, we beat uh, Hertha Berlin quite comfortably. Didier Deschamps screamer uh, and uh, a chappy Ferrer. Isn't uh, that his only goal, Chich? I think, it, I, think it, I think it might be. I yep. don't know is the honest answer. I can check. You, but... no, Deschamps and Ferrer's only goals for Chelsea. Right, OK, well done, Mark. Yeah. Um, and uh, Chris Sutton got sent off, didn't he, Mark? <laughs> so, yeah, we had the two rare events of, like, Deschamps and Ferrer scoring, and and we have that event of Chris, Chris Sutton being indisciplined once more, you know, gets sent off in injury time. So the game's won. Uh, and the knock-on effect in that is he only played 12 more minutes in the Champions League that season. Yeah, didn't didn't appear after that. Yeah, other than a, a brief sub subs appearance. Understandable. Uh, a nil nil against West Ham follows. Uh, another kind of you know disappointing game, I suppose, after a Champions League win. And then we have Everton away, um, which uh, a bit of a redemption for Sutton here. I don't know, Mark. You tell me. Well, it's a bit of an interesting one because you know I don't know whether there's some indiscipline. We had a lot of players sent off this season. Um, LeBerth gets sent off after 56 minutes. We're losing 1-0 to a Kevin Campbell goal. So we actually moved Sutton back to centre-half. Oh, his rightful position. And he had played there previously, yeah. Uh, and he turns in, you know, for the last half hour of like a mini-man-of-the-match performance. You know, he's actually excelled the centre-half. Uh, but clearly we're 1-0 down. So he pushed up late in the game to try and get an equaliser. But who does Viali push up as a striker with flow? Not Chris Sutton. He pushes Marcel Desailly up and he leaves his <laughs> head to the back. I forgot that. Yeah, and then lo and behold, you know, we push up and Flo gets it. Uh, and he, I think even, I think did Jess Hogg, I'd have to check. I'm sure Jess Hogg um, is the other defender. And I think he makes he makes the goal for Flo in the last minute. Or am I, am I imagining that? I might have imagined that. No, yeah, Jess Hogg. Yeah, he came on a sub. So Jess Hogg and Desai are on and they've pushed up as strikers and Chris Sutton is holding the defence together and we get a point. Absolutely brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Nut. I really... And, and... Didn't Tim Sutton, that's where he played at Celtic, wasn't it? Centre-half. Or did he play midfield? He didn't play striker when he was a success at uh, Celtic. No, he did. He did. Yeah, he got goals for Celtic. No, he, he, played, played. he played as a centre-half. Yeah. Oh, did he? Oh, OK. I think he was a centre-half for Norwich and then he converted yeah. to, to striker and, and they kept... 
half at Norwich, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the other lovely thing, I mean, lovely thing about this game, I mean, it was very pleasing to see uh, Torre Andre Fleur score in the in the 90th minute to, to get a point out of the game, to be sure. Uh, next up, we had uh, we had Fionoid in stage two of the Champions League. So they're coming thick and fast, these games. Um, it was, I wouldn't say it was routine. It took us a while to get going, but we won 3-1. <clears throat> Sam Dalla made his debut in that game. Uh, and then we beat Bradford City 1-0 with another flow goal. And then we, we absolutely caved in to Sunderland away 4-1, who we'd, of course, if you remember, we beat them 4-0 in the first game of the season. But this was a very different Sunderland. And they, they I mean, Phillips scores an absolute worldie. Uh, Neil Quinn scores a couple. Uh, and, uh, sorry, yeah, they've actually, Phillips and Quinn both scored a couple. And uh, Poyer replies. That happened to be Wollaston and Goldbeck's final appearances. And then... We go to uh, Roma to play Lazio uh, in our in our second stage two Champions League game, which like um, like the AC Milan match ends up as a nil nil. They're they're a decent side, Lazio. By the way, I forgot actually how good they were. They've got Nesta, Simeone, bloody Simeone was playing Attilio Lombardo, uh, Boxic, Veron, who we'd end up uh, signing later on, Nedved, Simeone, Anzaghi, Salas, that Chilean bloke. Uh, Mancini, Mancini was playing for them, and Conchechao. I mean, that was a good side. So, big side. Yeah. So a nil-nil out. I mean, actually, I mean, Zola came very close to scoring, as I recall. Um, but a, a, not a bad result. Not a bad result by any means. And then we have Hull City in the FA Cup, uh, and we absolutely walloped them six-one with a great, um, a great hat trick uh, by uh, by Gustavo Poye. Uh, and then we play Leeds at home, and we lose two-nil. Mark, what happened here? Well, it was almost like um, mirroring the old days, like Chelsea Leeds games. And the thing I remember about this is um, I can't I can't remember was it was it called Fishnets then? Like one of Bates's restaurants? Yes, um, it was. Yeah. It, was, it was Fishnets. So like my my cousin had some hospitality that day, um, so I think we had a meal in Fishnets, and I've still got the photo of home um, with Peter Osgood. So Peter Osgood was doing hospitality. So I met met the great man. So we were talking pre-match with Aussie about Chelsea Leeds games and what you know, we were we were planning on seeing Chelsea do to Leeds, but it all just went horribly wrong. Um, I think turning point was just after the hour. You know, Desai's gone off injured. Yes, Hogs come on. You know, uh, and then Leboeuf. You know, he was at it. You know, with Harry Kuehl, him and Kuehl at it all afternoon, uh, and I think there was one where Kuehl fouls him and he looks to get his own back. And by doing that, he gets pulled wide for a very clever play by Kuehl. And that leaves Stephen McPhail free with a, sh- a shot of goal. And then moments later, you know, LeBerth, you know, more retribution. Um, and he, I don't think they show this on the end of season video, but I remember at the time, he actually stamps on Harry Kuehl in the centre circle in full view of the referee. So he gets red, red carded straight away. But he doesn't go down the tunnel straight away. As he's going down the tunnel... Obviously, we said at the start, Michael Jubry has joined Leeds now, and Jubry was on the bench for Leeds. And Jubry says something to Leeds. So, sorry, says something to LeBerf as he's going off, and it all kicks off again. And LeBerf and Jubry and the Leeds bench, and then the whole Chelsea bench pile in. Yeah, so it was like proper Chelsea Leeds from like 1970, but we end up losing the game 2 0. Who would have thought that Jubry and LeBerf didn't get on then? <laughs> something going on there. You, you wonder what was said uh, yeah yeah well, if i was still playing for chelsea i want to got sent off like that you don't know you don't know Probably. Maybe they, last one, yeah. they should have sold you not me 
Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah who knows? We'd have to ask Doobes one day. I'm a big fan of Doobes. He's a lovely bloke. Uh, very disappointing, JK, for you, though, of course, to, le- to lose to Leeds at home. Hateful, Jitch. Hateful. Hateful. Hateful, indeed. Hateful. Steam coming out of my ears all evening. Hateful. And, uh, and the other downside about that is what, what happened then? That, that win took Leeds top of the league above Man United. Even worse, they go top of the league. Well, indeed, that that's not a bad side, though, Mark. They weren't a bad side. Oh no! To be fair, this was the David O'Leary side. You know, so this is where they they were beginning to put a lot of money into Leeds. Living the they, dream, Mark. This was the, this was the Leeds dream era as well. They, you know, you look at some of the Leeds players. That's a good Leeds side. Yeah, it, is. Yeah. it is. It is. It is actually. I have to say, Bill was a very good forward, indeed, wasn't he? Was Viduka playing then? No. The fat Aussie wanker hadn't turned up yet, had he? Turned up yet, no. Uh, sorry, that's how he's always referred to, as far as I'm aware. But uh, yeah, they were a good side, weren't they? And that was definitely the living the dream side. Um, they were, they, they did go top, didn't they? We were in tenth. I think we were something like seventeen points behind them at that stage, which is uh, uh, rather worrying. I mean, the other worrying thing, of course, is that this at this stage of the season we're getting desperately light on central defenders, um, thanks to Leboeuf getting sent off, but there are injuries as well. So uh, we went into the transfer market and we signed Emerson Tome for two and a half million from Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, and I think he immediately makes his debut. Am I right? I could be wrong. I don't know. Let me have a look. No, he doesn't. He doesn't. Oh, he does. He makes his debut in the next match when we go to Southampton to the Dell and win 2-1. And this is very famous, this match, not because it was particularly good or even because we won, but of course, this was the first time any uh, English club fielded uh, a first eleven, as in the guys who started the game, who were completely not british not british or english i suppose british doesn't really matter it was it was all full of foreigners dirty foreigners that's what the the, the sum would have added jk did the you get we, we got in the press was appalling i mean did you give a, a shit one iota i didn't yeah. didn't no. give a shit no yeah. no exactly but the, but the sun the current bun and all the media they were in absolute meltdown about it as i remember yeah, well, it's like the typical Chelsea taking southern, southern softy advantage of a situation. It was uh, the only club who could do that would be Chelsea. How dare they? How dare they cheat and have foreigners yeah, play? Yeah, for well, them? Cheating, yeah, cheating by having Johnny Foreigner playing yeah. for them yeah. in every single position. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, it was apparently ruining the fabric of the English game. It'll uh, yeah. all go downhill from there. I mean, the reality is, Mark, it's a common occurrence now. Oh, now, yeah, and the the other thing as well, if you look at the bench that day. We actually had three young English players actually on the bench. You know, so we might have started with all four and eleven. We had John Harley, I think John Terry and Mark Nichols on the bench. Yeah. But I think one of the press reports, Chelsea now know the recipe for success. Away from the Champions League, back in the bread and butter of the Premiership. Start with eleven overseas players. Yeah. But they actually do say blues fans would not be complaining about the foreign le- foreign legion. Yeah, there's a classic headline. The foreign legion lineup. Yeah. Yeah, typical, isn't it? I mean, and you're yeah. sorry, Mark. You were saying, yeah, no one was bothered. Yeah, no. people didn't look at their passports. Yeah, you just want the best eleven players out on the pitch for Chelsea. And as you said, loads of teams have replicated it since then. But because we were the first, we get all the stick in the press. Yeah, well, we're we're trendsetters. You embrace your players, players. don't you, Mark? You embrace them. Everybody who plays for the club, you're never looking at their nationality. They are a Chelsea player, correct? And you are supporting them and your team absolutely right and uh 
We did, as Mark said, we had three on the bench who came up from the academy and two of them got on in Harley and Morris. So, you know, they, they chose to ignore that. Uh, we finish off the year uh, with a 3-0 win against Sheffield Wednesday at home. Uh, Wise, Flo and Morris, the scorers. The last game of the millennium. And uh, there's, a, there's a quiz question in here, isn't there, Mark? Pub quiz question. Oh, no, de- definitely. Yeah. You know, what Premier League footballer scores the last goal in the Premier League of the millennium? And we were on TV that night, you know, and it was this was the last physical game. And Jody Morris gets that goal in the 83rd minute. But the other part about this is Wise had the flu. Yeah, you know, Wise had the flu. So he is actually on the bench, but he wasn't 100% fit. But uh, Deschamps had a clash of heads at one of the Sheffield Wednesday players. So went off um, very early on. And Wise came on. And again, as repeated many times during the course of this season, you know, despite coming on with flu, he scores our first goal and he has another man of the match performance and he actually sets up both goals for Flo and Jody Morris. Yeah, this this for me, and I know JK and I've talk, talked about previous shows, and you know, at times I was critical of Wise earlier in his Chelsea career, but just year by year, season by season, I just thought Wise got better and better and better. And better and better. Better. And this season he was excellent for Phenomenal, us. especially in the Champions League. Yeah. He found his 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 metier, as it were. He found his the level was 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 absolutely right for him playing for Chelsea with this team in the Champions League and even making a huge effort playing in um, uh, playing in the league I, I, in the Premier League. I just felt that his his reputation got in the way a bit playing in the in the uh, in the Premier League. I think some referees were very keen to to find fault with him for tackles that others got away with because of his his previous reputation. But you weren't really, we weren't going to be getting any of that in the in the Champions League because referees didn't know who he was because they were all foreign referees. Consequently, he was he was able to do the odd bit of trickery, a bit of <laughs> bit of nastiness, and nobody would would uh, would pay much attention. But no, he was um, he was magnificent. One of it's one of the reasons for me. He'll always be one of my favourite Chelsea players ever because of his uh, his absolute brilliance. He rarely gave the ball away, and if he did, he absolutely hated himself. And he was great. At, at getting the ball back and had a terrific shot. He was a he was an absolutely fabulous player, Dennis Wise. Yeah, as Peter Drury said, he's small but he's big. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's just nuts, isn't it? It's absolutely <laughs> nuts. Go back and watch the season review again, <laughs> and just 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 try and make sense of that if you possibly can. Oh God, I love that. Oh dearie me. Anyway, look, we end up we end up the year in seventh place in the Premier League, and, and we uh, signed George Weah, though, don't we? Well, coming up, we do, but uh, we're going to have a quick break now. Uh, it's kind of half time for us. Uh, and then we'll be back to go uh, from uh, J- January onwards in the millennium, the millennium, the millennium. I can't even say it in the in the year 2000. That'll do. And uh, we all know where that ends up. But it's quite a journey on the way. We'll see you in a second. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. 
And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times.